Hi, all y'all. My name is Janice Engel. I am the producer, director of Ray's Hell, the Life and Times of Molly Ivins. And that all y'all does not mean I'm from Texas. All right, I have come to cheer y'all up about the state of politics in this great nation. I know you think that uh, it is looking dark and gloomy. Cheer up, it could always be worse. You could be living in Texas. I bring to you our own Molly Ivins. Molly Ivins appeared in papers all over the country. How many legendary print journalists are there? I'm a Texan. I drive a pickup truck. I drink beer. I hunt. I'm a liberal. So what? Molly came in like a house of fire, making riotous fun of the legislature. Representative so-and-so has the IQ of an adolescent pissant. I see him in the Capitol the next day, and they say, baby, you put my name in your paper. I accidentally became an authority on George W. Bush. Like the guy who climbed Everest, it was there. The people who Molly took apart were the right people to aim at, and they knew it. What's your take on Newt? The draft-dodging, dope-smoking, deadbeat dad who divorced his dying wife? Molly could be very rough on progressives. In my opinion, the Democratic leadership is gutless to an extraordinary extent. I had been asked to join the New York Times. They wanted Molly for the unique voice, the iconoclast, but they wanted her to fit into the times. As we say in Texas, that dog don't hunt. Damn, it's good to be back home again. Porn can make a difference in Texas. What the hell they need with one more liberal in Berkeley, California, for God's sake. Texas has always been the national laboratory for bad government. Major daily publications were buying her column and not running it. You bet there's censorship. Anytime you do the kind of work Molly did, there's a price to pay for it. Molly got death threats, threatening letters. I think of you as a hateful, lying left liberal. We keep pretending that the political spectrum runs from right to left. It doesn't. It runs from top to bottom. It's not those people in Washington. It's not those people in your state capital. This country is run by us. Somebody has got to look them in the eye and speak truth. And she did. That is the trailer for the documentary, Raise Hell, The Life and Times of Molly Ivins. And this is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, a London-based production company that makes documentaries about America for international audiences. Today we're talking about Molly Ivins, the award-winning columnist and journalist, and helping us to learn more about this Texas and American icon is award-winning director and producer Janice Engel. Janice, welcome to Factual America. How are things there in L.A.? Thank you for having me, Matthew. Things in LA are actually um, sunny, uh, a little crisper in terms of temperature, which is actually a relief because we had a couple of really um, deep heat, heat waves uh, in the past few weeks. And I really look forward to having, you know, the weather cool down a bit. So it's good. Everything is uh, good. And we are happy here in America. At least some of us are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. And, Half the country. <laughs> it's, 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 it feels like, and, may, and that is something we might even talk a little bit more about later. Uh, um, uh, it always seems it's going to be one, it, these days it's going to be half and half for, for a little while longer, I think. Um, so, uh, and you said it's, it's, you had a bit of heat wave, but I can't imagine it's nearly as hot as what you must have experienced when you were filming in Texas, because what we're talking about is the film again, Raise Hell, The Life and Times of Molly Ivins. 
Uh, you've done the festival circuit, I see. You've uh, racked up some uh, audience awards, including South by Southwest, which must have been uh, quite gratifying. And uh, we here in the UK know it's been released here. Uh, now we're under lockdown. Uh, so it's just, do you know if there's going to be an extended run? Because they had to close the uh, cinemas, as they say here. Yeah, I, I don't know. I have to talk to Yves Gabro at Modern Films, but I would imagine as long as y'all want to see it, it'll still be there. The great, the great thing about Molly Ivins and Ray's Hell, I mean, but people don't know about her when they find out about her, they, they want to see it. People have come, I mean, in the States, brought their, their children, their grandchildren, gone to see it two and three times. And mm. this is um, a testament to Molly. The film is, is wonderful, and I'm very proud to have made it and actually been given the access. Um, but the st it's the staying power of Molly Ivins. I don't know any other doc uh, recently that had that kind of staying power except for RBG. Mm. And, of course, it's two great women who had something to 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 teach to share to uphold um and so that message is really deep and it's a, it's a, it's about our shared humanity it's not just about being an american mm. uh you know we played let's see it took me six and a half years to make it seven practically um which is actually pretty good for a doc because docs can take average seven to ten years we got into sundance film festival on a rough cut which was completely shocking and I had less than I probably had about 40 days to lock it finish it get it to what it was supposed to be and get it to Sundance then we got into South by Southwest which was Molly's stomping grounds and yes where we won the audience award and that was an incredible experience which I will share with you on another perhaps trajectory yeah. but the staying power we went through the festival circuit we won a number of different awards at different festivals. We got picked up by Magnolia Pictures, which was fantastic. The release date was August 30th, 2019. Thank you, Molly, that we came <laughs> out in 2019. Um, and when we found out about the release date, uh, we, we was gonna roll out in the great state, which is Texas, and then the rest of the United States uh, a couple of weeks later. And what was so amazing, nobody realized it, except I did, uh, about a week after we got the date, it was her 75th birthday. Yeah. Now, nobody at Magnolia knew that. I mean, you tell me who's driving that bus. So we release Ray's Hell on her birthday. We stayed in theaters for 18 weeks from Alabama to Alaska. Mm. That's extraordinary for a small independent documentary. Then we were invited through Bridget Arsenal, who found me via Sundance and South by in the top 10 lists, reached out, and we brought Ray's Hell to London first at her curated um, women's breakthrough film event that she holds, a series that she holds at, or held in the yeah. pandemic, it's been stopped, but at the Bulgari Hotel. And that is what brought us on to the radar of modern films and Eve Gabro, who wisely picked us up. I'm very grateful. And we released October 23rd in the UK, just, you know, two weeks in the roll up to the United States, the election. Mm -hmm. And um, so that is the staying power. And here we are. You know, I, 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 it's Molly. Everybody needs a dose of Molly Ivins. First of all, how many documentaries make you laugh? <laughs> and secondly, um, she, she has uh, something to teach us all. 
Okay. And just so, I mean, we have a lot of listeners actually in the U.S. and uh, those who can't get to a U.K. cinema, um, where it's available to, for streaming, isn't it? I mean, people can just search for it and they'll, and they'll find it. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It's on, if you go to um, www.mollyivansfilm.com, you'll Excellent. see all the various platforms that it's streaming on. If you have Hulu in the United States, uh, you can stream it for free. And it's still, it's, it's still get, people are still watching. They're still seeing there. Mm. Like I said, it is a, there aren't a lot of documentaries that do make you laugh. This one does. And it's, um, it'll make you cry because you miss her. And then it'll make you get busy because it's a call to action. Okay. Excellent. Um, let me thank you again, if I didn't already, for coming onto the podcast. I mean, uh, we've been wanting to have you on for, as you say, this came out in 2019, and uh, uh, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. And as we were talking before, I'm originally from Texas and was very well aware of uh, Molly Ivins. It's, the film made me quite homesick, I will say. Uh, but um, for those, uh, let's face it, I think there's going to be a, probably a decent number of audience, our audience who do not even know who Molly Ivins was. So maybe you can just, uh, I know it, could t well, we're going to have a whole podcast about it, but, uh, you know, as succinctly as possible, who was Molly Ivins, if, if you wanted to explain it to the, uh, those who don't know who she was? Molly Ivins was a six foot tall, red haired Texan. She spoke truth to power. She gave voice to those that didn't have a voice. And she kept them laughing on both sides of the aisle. You were fair game. She, she went after you know, she was a political writer. She came up as a, a, a real journalist. I mean, uh, she broke the glass ceiling. Yeah. She was boots on the ground journalist, but she became a columnist because she, she that's really what she was meant to be. She had a, a unique point of view. She was wildly funny and she went after stupidity. She mm. went after stupidity that is mitigated upon we, the people, by politicians and it didn't matter which side of the coin you were on and she also was a first amendment warrior indeed so. and and so in terms of your film i mean if you want to give a little synopsis um what what is the the i mean it's not your what's well, it's a it's an excellent doc so it's not just born here here's her life and dies here i mean it's it how would you describe the the film well, the film is, yes, it, it's, so a little funny story. Um, when I was pitching this film and trying to get money early on, yeah. um, and a lot of people knew who Molly Evans was, and I had been a showrunner in television, so I had certain connections um, at certain media enterprises. And what came back was we love Molly, but, and this was from about maybe two to three places. It's a biopic and she's dead. <laughs> that was like in 2014 and I was like okay and so um myself and my one of my producing partners James Egan um both of us had worked in the industry and done different things we became completely paranoid about oh my god it's a biopic uh and it's interesting because this is during you know when Obama was um you know second term and it was it's in, and it was an interesting thing. The, the, the long and short of it is, how are you going to tell your story? You know, how do you, especially if somebody has passed away. So um, there's the chron chronology, right, of what happened. But there's also big themes in Molly's life. Speaking truth to power, populism, um, you know, uh, what it means to be a Texan. Mm -hmm. And so early on, really, for, right from the gate, I 
thought the A story is Molly's story. The A story is Molly. Mm. The B story is Texas. And the C story is we the people of how <laughs> the decisions made by certain people trickle down to we the people. Now, if you look at some of Molly Evans, if you read some of her books, that was a structure that she used in some of her books. And so on a more classical storytelling uh, structure, Molly is the protagonist. Texas mm. is the antagonist, mm. but also the protagonist. It's both. And in there lies the crux. And, um, and so that is what is, is basically how I saw the story unfolding. And after trying to figure out what the structure could, should be, after going through a mountain of material, because Molly's papers are housed at the Briscoe Center for American Studies at the University of Texas in Austin, and thank you, Don Carlton, the executive director. I lived in those archives and I poured through, a I, I, I like to say I climbed a mountain called Molly. <laughs> and in the end, I came up with different structures. At one point I was gonna do the book titles and use those as headings, as chapters. I went back to my original you know, uh, uh, structure. And, and what happened was I, I, right before I brought on, Hang on, my dog is barking. It's not the first time it's happened. Sadie, what's up? <laughs> Shh, quiet. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyway, what, what, what happened was, uh, right before I was going to bring on an editor, Monique Zavostovsky, uh, I had uh, uh, coffee with the great Kate Amen. She's an amazing editor. And uh, she looked at me, because I was saying the biopic thing, and she looked at me and she said, what's wrong with the biopic? <laughs> And it was the first time somebody had said that to me in like two years. And a little thing went off in my head and I looked at her and I said, nothing. And at that moment, it was like, it's like I was, I had like unleashed my own self-imposed prison. You know what we do as creatives. Oh my God. I got on a plane, I flew to the East Coast and I jotted down very quickly, it just poured out of me a structure. And when I landed, I went and I checked I always take pictures. I do structure boards with index cards like writers do and filmmakers. We all, you know, are, everybody has their method. And I kid you not, the film that you watched that you see right now is basically the film of my first structure board, except for maybe three or four more things I added in. So... First thought, best thought, Matthew. <laughs> okay, that's well. That exactly then, because that's what I was about to ask you. It's it's a you know, uh, it, it's a bit of advice to those who are in the industry. I mean, I, I work with some filmmakers, and it's you get this all the time. Like you say, oh, it's a biopic, you know. Uh, <laughs> fingers crossed don't you know leave it alone kind of thing yeah exactly just or or whatever they call it or that's never gonna you're never gonna get anyone to watch that or you're not gonna get commissioned or however you're looking at it and I guess just go with your the courage of your conviction is your gut yeah go with your gut also don't listen to the what they tell you don't listen to people in the business don't listen follow your inner voice First thought, best thought. And the other thing that I will say to any creatives out there, whether you are a writer, whether you're a filmmaker, whether you're a painter, a photographer, a dancer, every project has its own life breath. It really speaks to you. It has its own energy. It has, I know that I live in LA, very wooji-wooji here, but no, it really does. It has its own um, energy. It really does. And it will unfold if you get out of the way. Get your ego out of the way, allow it to bubble mm. up and come out 
Well, I think that's some of the best bit of advice we've had on this program, I will say. Uh, so so, th- so thank, for, thank you for that. Um, I mean, back to Molly. Um, now, you've already touched on this, um, but one thing that struck me, because yes, I was aware of her, I had read her books, but I had never, probably being the, the man that I am, had never really thought of her as a trailblazer, as a woman in a man's world, and literally she was, wasn't she? I mean, I mean, she's like, sort of, as, as you point out, she was the only woman in the newsroom often. Um, yeah. And then she was this physical force of nature, as you talk, I mean, I've, I've, I don't know if I've heard the term big boned used so often in a, in a, in a film. And uh, I'd hate to think, <laughs> you know, if, if ever, there never will be, but if there ever was a film about me, you know, there's that short kind of paunchy guy, you know, I mean, it's like, but she was this, this, this presence. Uh, and the thing that strikes me is how did she make a career out of covering the Texas legislature? Cause that's essentially how she, you know, her, how she rose to fame really. Yeah. She, well, you know, Molly was a great observer of people and she also was incredibly brilliant. She was so well read and I just, you know, a, 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 a lover of history. She absorbed and she watched people and she had a great sense of humor. She had a really wry sense of humor and she would just watch. I mean, come on, the Texas ledge. First of all, there's a lot of characters in Texas. Texas is, Texas is larger than life. Texans, you know, are funny people. They're also big hearted, warm, mm-hmm. um, uh, welcoming. And they're also, as she would say at times means some, some of bitches, some, some, some bitches, you know, some bitches. Um, uh, Texans are known for having, you know, great sayings, you know, what is it? You're more wild than a peach orchard boar. He was as mad as a peach orchard boar. And I mean, this Texas, Texasisms, Texans are funny people. They're, as she would say, they're mighty friendly folk. They'll also cut you in a heartbeat. There, it's 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 a it's a great big state, and it's it's a really a melting pot. And I think that she saw the shenanigans going on in the Texas Ledge. I mean, the Texas Ledge. First of all, uh, in Texas, and a lot of people don't know that the the governor really doesn't have power. It's the lieutenant governor who has right. all the power. This is a holdover from Reconstruction. Ah, yeah, remember Reconstruction in America? That didn't work out so well, and we're still working that out now. Finally. Um, so Texas is a throwback to another time. And, you know, if you, my other producing partner, Carlisle Vandervoort is a Texan and she grew up like Molly in River Oaks. Um, as I like to say, high wasp, you know, (laughs) St. John's, uh, uh, you know, cocktails, you know, the whole thing. And the fact is, is that, you know, Texans are, uh, they're just, they're just, they've got this, this, this way. They've got this, 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 if you think about it, when you grow up in Texas, you don't learn about United States history. You learn about Texas history. Yeah, when you are thing. asked, when you go, okay, you're a Texan, you live in uh, the UK. Yeah. When people say, Matthew, where are you from? What do you say? I say I'm from Texas. That's right. Instead of saying I'm from the US, <laughs> I'm a Texan. That's what, that's what Carl says. Where are you from? Texas, Molly, where are you from? I'm a Texan. (laughs) You don't say I'm I'm an American. So there is, there is a Texas identity. And so 
I think that when Molly covered the ledge, she saw, she saw, she saw, had the ability to see the stupidity of Texas politics. And man, it was really obvious. And she went after it. And she was very clever with words. And she also could be six foot tall, big boned. Um, she could drink any man under the table. And of course, drinking in Texas is entree. I mean, you start, you know, you have a beer when you're 12, you know, it's part of the culture. I wish I had. My parents are teetotalers. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, yeah. But basically, you know what I'm saying. No, no, I'm telling you. Uh, no, I know it, it, it wasn't much later. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I think you raised some very good points. I mean, I think, I mean, had you had any, before you did this project, had you had much interaction with the great state of Texas? Not, not a tad, except for my, my, best friend, Carlisle Vanderhoord, who became my producing <laughs> partner. I had a few friends from Texas, but Carlisle was definitely my best friend. And um, James and I, when we got the green light on this from Molly's estate, we knew we needed to bring in a Texan because we're carpetbaggers. Mm. I'm, I'm originally from New York, if you haven't guessed already, yeah. uh, even though I haven't lived there in over 40 plus years. Um, and James was from Baltimore. And uh, we knew we needed a Texan. And we both had a mutual friend named Carlisle Vandervoort. Mm -hmm. And uh, we both, uh, <laughs> I think I said she deserves this. We called her and she likes to say we gang pressed her and gave her 48 hours to decide. And she called the next morning and said, I'm in. And also because she wanted to rub our noses in it, especially me, mm -hmm. because Carlisle grew up in Texas. She went to Vanderbilt. She came back to UT at Austin and then she went to New York and then she came to LA and then she moved back to Texas let's see, we did this in 2012. So something like, you know, 15, 20 years before she moved back to Texas and we made fun of her, me and a few other, I mean, we're just like, why? Yeah. Why didn't you move? Right. You know, we had snotty, snotty ideas about Texans, you know, that they're all right wing Republicans, you know, that, you know, <laughs> and um, she wanted to basically prove us that, that we, you know, prove to us that we were completely wrong. And the fact is, is that she did. So when I, came you know to texas literally five weeks six weeks later after she said yes we we had gotten our green light you know my um comeuppance and my teaching about texas and texans really began and uh i really have come to co love uh, a lot of texas not all of it i think they still think that the ledge is batshit crazy the governor of the state should basically be removed and i mean there's a lot of stuff that there, there's a lot of um policy that does not work out for most of the folk that are there but texans are really lovely warm people and they're they like to have a good time and they love mm. to eat and they love to share there's a there's a certain inclusivity there that mm. that does happen uh, 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 it's a big state and also it's the fastest growing um i don't know if it's the fastest growing populace but i will say it's it's the fastest growing diversity moving Mm. Uh, state. And that's, of course, because of Houston and Austin and San Antonio, I mean, the little pockets. But Houston is, uh, I think, the most, uh, two years ago, is noted as being the most diverse city in America. I, I think you're... Funny. I think you're right. I know someone who writes for The Economist magazine here who says it's his favorite, it's his favorite city in the U.S., but because of for what you described, it's sort of it's the future in some ways. I haven't forbid for someone who's from San Antonio, I haven't forbid Houston's the future of America in some ways, but, uh, 
for those who don't know, it's a city that exists with no zoning or planning laws. So you end up with some bizarre, uh, it's, it's a bizarre place in many ways, but uh, uh, you can have a Baptist church and an adult bookstore and a uh, filling station all on the same, you know, intersection but uh that's why it's like it's so much like america and you know molly said texas is the national laboratory for bad government and then there's gail collins book as goes texas so goes the rest of the country george bush says policy in as governor became the policy the blueprint for america lawrence wright has a book about out about it that was published last year it is the blueprint for america Mm. it really is and i houston reminds me a lot of la it's interesting. Um, I mean, one thing, you know, so we've discussed the essence of her ge- Molly's genius, but she becomes, I mean, she's unique in this. I mean, a celebrity political columnist. How many of those do? I mean, I can't think of anyone else, really. Um, well, I think she'd, I think she'd, she'd want to cross out the word celebrity. That's uh, true. I'd say she's a political columnist who became a, a humorist. And um, if you look at today, back then, who was doing what she did? Well, maybe George Carlin a little bit, but he was a comedian. Yeah. Uh, definitely Lenny Bruce, again, a comedian. Uh, who else was skewering people like that? Uh, Richard Pryor. I mean, comedians. Think about yeah. news people. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe you, maybe Gore Vidal off, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. William F. Buckley, maybe. But, and then, of course, you had Pat Buchanan, Molly and Pat. Oh, they were both had the same editor, which is hilarious. Who's Anthony Zerker. Is that he right? Was, yeah, cre- uh, creators. He, was, he told me that. When I, I said, oh, my God, that's great. That's America. That's great. It's true. How do you, that's you great. Going, going from editing Molly Ivins one day and then Pat Buchanan the next and then going back to Mo- uh, Molly's book or whatever, that... I would, I'd have my head spinning around, but uh, kind of uh, great. that is amazing. I, did, I didn't realize that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I learned, I learned that in 2012 when I interviewed Anthony, and I was like, oh, God, I wanted to do, I, I imagined actually doing a piece on it, but, it, mm. you know, I had, you know, <laughs> so many ideas I had. <laughs> so in many ways, she kind of harkens back to maybe Will Rogers or yes, Mark, Mark Twain. Yes. Mark Twain, Ida Tarbell. Yes, in that. But Molly is even pithier. She's much more pithier than than, uh, Will Rogers. I think Mark Twain is, she has been compared to Mark Twain. But think about when Mark Twain lived. How many years ago was that from when she lived? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and then she also had this sort of, I mean, one thing that I've, I mean, or do correct me, but uh, I think what's interesting about the film is you, you do talk about it. It is... Let's let's call it what it is. It is a biopic and a, a very enjoyable one and fast moving. And uh, uh, you know, I didn't know through third generation Smith, right? One of the you know, she's uh, very. I mean, didn't realize how waspish her her background was. I didn't know about her being from River Oaks originally. Uh, yet she, you know, she had this public private persona. Um, some might say she put on the twang a little bit and, uh, she didn't go to UT, but she's got her hook em horn salute every time she comes out on the stage. I mean, uh, is that, do you want to say something a little bit about that? The public versus the private Molly. And I guess it point raises other issues that she's, that she struggled with. 
Oh, absolutely. And all of her friends, you know, early on, I had a, these questions, you know, that about Molly, and I really absorbed as much as I could about her and friends revealed so much more each time. <clears throat> and they talked about it. There was the public Molly. And then there was, or they called it the profession, professional Molly and private Molly. Mm. And professional Molly was who you saw. I mean, the twang, I mean, the twang, the whole thing. If you l listen to Molly, you can hear it. So you hear when she's doing the shtick. Mm. You can hear it. The, 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 the twang gets thicker. It's, it, you know, y'all, y'all, and beloveds, and, and mm. beloveds, which she got from her mentor, John Henry Falk, who That's broke right. the, the blacklist. John Henry Falk, a lot of people don't know who he is. He actually broke the blacklist. He sued. Mm -hmm. He sued and broke the blacklist. And Molly learned at his feet, Cactus Pryor and John Henry Falk. And John Henry Falk had a, had a big radio career, but once he was blacklisted, he never got it back. And when he broke the blacklist, he never got the money for suing. He had to make gigs by uh, doing lectures and doing sort of a, like a folksy stand-up. He was also in Hee Haw. He Lear. was. He was. Norman. I remember that. Yep, Norman Lear. I mean, all these lefties, you know, these progressives who, you know, look at all in the family. I mean, you look at what Norman Lear did, you know. Yeah. Uh, and Molly was a big proponent of, he helped the people for the American way, Norman Lear's, um, you know, uh, nonprofit and all, all of these things. So they were all connected. But she learned a lot. I mean, she asked, she asked John Henry Falk, um, you know, she noticed that he repeated story. He, she, she said, "How do you? How are you funny all the time?" And Cactus Pryor, who's a, a Texas uh, uh, personality, mm -hmm. and he burst out laughing. They said, "Girl, you just got to repeat the stories over and over." That's what Molly did. I have her telling the same stories in so many different speeches, and I had to be able to choose the one yeah. that was going to work best to yeah. attract the film audience, but also what, what I could afford. I wasn't going to use the one on Jay Leno. Uh, so, so, there's, there, so she did repeat her stories and she had a way of delivering. And there was, her friends would say as she got further and further on, the Texas twang, sometimes it was too much. It was, the, it was, mm. it was, it was over, over, over the top. Um, but if you watch Molly and you watch her when she would drop it and she would drop the Texas shtick, mm the professional Molly, and she was still professional, and she would talk to you about the inequity, and she would talk about the real problems going on in America and speaking truth to power. And you'd notice that her voice is no longer Texan. It's a little bit there, but it's, it's East Coast. It's mm -hmm. Smith-educated. It is St. John's, you know. I mean, you know, she, when she said, you know, it's not left to right, it's top to bottom. It always has yeah. been. The richest 1% yeah. own 42% or 43% of the world's wealth. Well, that was in 1991. Where are we now? We're in the same place, yeah. except the richest 1% own 64%, if not more. Yeah. Need I say more? Prescient, prescient, prescient. And then there's the private Molly. And the private Molly was actually quite shy. Hmm. And very shy. And people had all this, you know, well, she never married. You know, she never had children. That must mean she's a dyke. I mean, that, there was that too. I, I, I got that all the time. Oh, she's a lesbian. I can say that because I've been married to my wife for 28 years. Okay. You know, she, Molly, I, she did miss having children. And a lot of her friends' children, she was Aunt Moll. She put all her, her 
siblings, kids, and their kids through college, college funds. She mm. had an incredibly generous heart. Um, she did have lovers. I don't think that was anybody's business. I saw things in her archives. It's, that's not what this is about. Yeah. And I think that because she was big boned and she had, you know, would put weight on and she could drink anybody under the table, there was all these assumptions about her. Um, and that brings us to her drinking. Yes, she was a drinker. She was a high functioning alcoholic. She would do and well in this her. country, but yes, I, I think, uh, yeah. yeah, no, and and she really struggled with it. It, it, and I think you, you, as they say in this in the UK, you, warts and all. I mean, you do touch on the fact that it created some difficult um, situation. She wasn't the nicest of drunks. Let's let's put it that way. Oh no, she could let it rip, and she she, um, you know, she and Ann Richards went before Ann Richards. They were buds, but she got sober. She divorced Dave, and they went in a way, different camp. She stayed with Dave because they were still, you yeah. know, the drinkers. Um, but Anne, Anne and she were, were pretty close buddies. I mean, a, until Anne became governor and then Molly felt like she, you know, she had access, but she didn't want to overstep it. You know, she was damned if she did and damned if she didn't. Yeah. But, um, you know, Molly, they would go, they called it drunk school. They would go to drunk school. They would go to Betty Ford. They would dry a rancho La Puerta. They would dry out, clean up, stop smoking, lose weight. And then she would fall back in. And um, I would say her drinking was very, very lonely. You know, it, it, she would, as Lou DeBose said, you can't drink, you know, two bottles of wine a night and, you know, and still, and yet she would still, you know, high functioning. She would still deliver a column twice a week. Mm. Um, but she finally got sober. I don't want to give away the film, but just on a personal note, she did finally get sober in the last 18 months of her life, which Annie Lamont said, t said was probably, you know, she's the most courageous person I've ever known. Cause who would do that? You're <laughs> you've got a death sentence. You're going to die. And yeah. Who could get sober? They'd say, screw it. I'm going to go out and, you know, hell in a handbag and have a good time. And the thing that's extraordinary for me about that is that Molly Ivins, who could speak truth to power to the most powerful person on the planet. Oh my God, she would have had a field day with Trump. She would have just mm. dined out on him for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She could speak truth to power around the world in the last 18 months of her life, she basically faced her own truth mm. and wanted to go out clear. And that's courage. Well, indeed. And I think that's uh, actually probably a good point to give our listeners uh, a small little break here. And we'll be sure. back uh, shortly with, uh, with Janice Engel. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with Janice Engel, director and producer of Ray's Hell, The Life and Times of Molly Ivins. Uh, which the Guardian newspaper here in the UK describes a memorial to a liberal legend. Um, Janice, uh, you did touch on this a bit at the beginning, but how did this film come about? How did you, someone who's been in LA all these years, get, get onto this, this project? 
the way I, I, I learned about Molly Adams, because I did not know who she was, I am um, happy to reveal. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know who she was. I grew up in New York. I went to college in Los Angeles. I stayed. I went back and forth. But she wasn't on my radar. I had heard of her from uh, uh, that she had dubbed George W. Bush Shrub, the little bush, yeah. which I thought was hilarious. And I think I'd seen her on a late night. I want to say, I think it was probably Letterman, but it's a long time ago. Um, so I didn't know who she was. What happened was James Egan, who is uh, my producing partner, one of, one of, well, there's three of us, there's also Carlisle Vandervoort. Mm. James and I had wanted to make a film together for quite some time. And he's a producer. And uh, he called me up in spring of 2012 and said, you need to go see this play at the Geffen Playhouse. That's in Los Angeles. It's called Red Hot Patriot, The Kick-Ass Wit of Molly Ivins. It's closing this week and you must go. And I said, why? And he said, because I had to last week. He knew the playwrights and he was like, oh my God, it's their first play. But he went and he said, you have to go and see it. And the carrot that really got me to go was he says, and it stars Kathleen Turner the great mm. Kathleen Turner. Right. And I was like, oh my God, okay, one woman show, dang. Okay, so I went, I bought a ticket, I sat in the third row, slightly off center, and I laughed my ass off. It was the funniest thing I had seen in a long time. It was, it, it's Molly, her words, her, her, it just the delivery, and Kathleen was great, but it was, they also had media of Molly in it, and you would heard her voice, and, I was like, wow. I mean, I laughed. I mean, we're talking out loud laughing. And I got home and I Googled Molly Ivins till 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And I just, it was, there were all these clips from mm -hmm. C-SPAN, obscure stuff, some obscure stuff. And I, I had to go to sleep. And so I called James first thing in the morning and I, and I said, oh my God, she's hilarious. And what's the story? And he said, I went backstage I, last week. I spoke to Kathleen. Uh, I spoke to Alison Engel, one of the twin sisters, the playwrights. She said, nothing had been done on Molly except the play. I said, nothing. He said, nothing. I said, holy cow. Mm. And so that's what, that was it. Nothing had been done. And we said, we need to do this and we need to make a doc. And so um, through the Engel sisters, we all have the same last name. Matt, come on, that is hilarious. And we all spell it E-N-G-E-L, which Engel in like German, Danish, Dutch means mm -hmm. angel. So it became my joke that Molly had her, you know, brigade of angels doing her bidding for her <laughs> here on terra firma. Well, she's been kind of, she's like kind of working. She's like, we're a little puppet master. We're her little puppets. So, um, Anyway, we got through the through Allison and Margaret Engel. We got access to Molly's chief of stuff. She called her her chief of I stuff. I saw that. It's hilarious, Betsy Moon, <laughs> Betsy IMDb. James and I said, "Oh, they're for real. They have credits." And so she put us in touch with the estate, which was um, the Texas Observer and the ACLU, mm -hmm. through Molly's former manager, manager still uh, posthumously, Dan Green. And um, who also IMDb'd us. And we got, we got uh, the green light pretty quickly. And in that period, we also uh, reached out to Carlisle, the Texan, because yeah. we knew we needed a Texan to be able to go and, you know, get money, Texas money, asking oil and gas. I couldn't ask those people how, for money, but Carlisle could, because she is also, like Molly, a child of oil and gas privilege. Mm. So um, it was a great, great, uh, and the three of us had known each other for 20 plus years. So it was kind of built in this, this, uh, this, our little group.
to do this. And then it was, you know, mostly it was me and Carlisle who did most of the shooting. Sometimes I'd go by myself with just a shooter for 10 day trips to different areas of Texas and New Mexico, finding, doing interviews with Molly's peeps. Mm. And I mean, as you already said, you spent a lot of time there at, uh, at UT. Um, there's not to, sometimes it scares people off, but lots of archival. I mean, how much C-SPAN footage did you have to watch? I mean, probably, uh, I, I used to live in DC. You probably have watched more than anyone who lives in DCs. Uh, there was so much, there was so many times Molly was on and I have it all archived, but there was also other speeches. She gave at numerous universities and commencement speeches and round tables and talks and, um, and then all her papers and, um, I have a Molly Ivins select reel, selects, broken down by themes and points in her life because that's how my brain works, how I break down mm. when I'm coming up with the structure. So thematically as well as the, the, her life and how it, it flowed um, and, and presidents and, and just different things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> gun lobby, I mean, just different yeah. different things yeah. and that select reel is over seven to eight hours long selects Amazing. uh i was i will say um i even had this note down here later um um do watch the film it's the best way to get to know about molly ivins though as you say you can just uh do a, a search on youtube and uh not the you, same not the same though uh i do recommend the two lane lecture i think that you uh you do oh, have a clipper too, but that's that's worth a, a watch. Um, well, you know she was the speaker, the commencement speaker, because her nephew Drew had graduated. He introduces her. It's pretty wonderful. Uh, well, they don't. They, yeah, that the only thing I, how I picked up on that she said something about her nephew or something. She kind of looks down in that clip, and I just saw oh, he must be in the audience. But uh, the one I saw, they they don't don't have that introduction at the beginning. But uh, one thing that struck me. Um, it's, you know, for those of us of a certain age, it doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but my goodness, some of that footage, I mean, because she really, well, she was famous before W, uh, and that's some of the lexicon she introduced to the, into the world, uh, W and Shrub and, and Bubba's, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, gosh, it looks, looks like ancient history in some ways. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, a lot of the stuff was shot in videotape and it's completely degraded. And we, we tried to, oh my God, we tried to find masters. We found one master was destroyed by, by a flood. I, yeah. <laughs> so we had to use what we, so in some cases, what we could find. And some of, a lot of it is fair use. And so, yeah, yeah. that's a way for, to make a documentary so you don't have to pay yeah. huge licensing fees. Um, you know, Molly became, was very famous in Texas. And she became so famous in Texas in the 80s. First of all, everybody read her. Whether you were on the left or the right, you read her when she, her, as a columnist, um, because she was funny, mm. even if you disagreed with her. And that was what was, you know, we're, we're in this place of such vitriol and we're so polarized. And she saw us moving in that direction. You know, back in the day, you would agree to disagree. You'd go out and have a beer and, you know, you'd still be friends. Exactly. Yeah. Now we don't do that. So um, it's, 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 she, and she foresaw that, that happening. Um, the cynicism, the cynicism um, on both sides, there is responsibility on both sides, but I will say more so on the right of what, to, to gain power. Uh, and, and, uh, but what Molly became really famous when she was a columnist at the Dallas Times Herald. And, um, she, uh, uh, 
her paper took out a billboard that said, well, what had happened was she said about a particular congressman that if his IQ slips any lower, we'll have to water him twice a day. And it was hilarious. <laughs> and so, and so there was always, she was always the most loved and the most hated columnist and they would get, you know, letters. And so her paper did a bold move. They took out billboards around Dallas and Fort Worth that said, Molly Ivins can't say that, can she? Mm. And that is what became, you know, several years later, the, basically the title of her first book, which became yeah. a New York Times bestseller and remained on the bestseller list for, I mean, an extraordinary amount of time. And it was all from her column. That's a great first primer to read. It's hilarious. What she said about Dan Quayle, yeah, I traveled with him during the 88 campaign. I found him dumber than advertised. I swear if you put that man's brain in a bumblebee, it would fly backwards. Yeah, that's, she says it on Letterman, I think, is, is the clip you have, I think. Uh, yes. The one that you did shell out for. Um, yes, he did. Well, he loved her. <laughs> we were hoping to get a deal with Worldwide Pants. He loved Molly Ivins. <laughs> um, you, you've, I mean, you've, tu you've touched on so many things, and I think that's a, Hopefully this has been a nice little uh, taster, if you will, for, for listeners to go out and then go ahead and, and actually watch this film if they haven't already. Um, we were talking earlier about uh, her, you know, and you've spent a lot of time in Texas. And I thought that was a very interesting point about, because I picked up on this, of Texas being the antagonist and the protagonist, if you want to go with the traditional story arc. Um, the... Uh, I mean, or could we say she had sort of a love-hate relationship with the state? Or, I mean, I, I, everyone thinks I don't think she love. hated it at all. I don't think she hated it at all. Yeah. I think she had a, just, she loved. She went, she left it and she came, always came back. Yeah. She came back where, you know, you know the son of bitches. <laughs> she likes to say. Well, what was it? Who did she say? Was it uh, Ronnie Duggins or someone said that? Ronnie Duggar, yeah. Duggar, yeah. Who says, uh, home is where you uh you understand the son of a, sons of bitches i think is uh, something yeah, to that effect that's yeah. right yeah that she took that he was the the publisher and founder of the texas observer which is yeah. still going on you can still yeah you can subscribe to it you can get email uh, updates on a daily basis um Pretty, yes. It's still kicking ass, taking names. It's kind of amazing. The Texas Observer. It's a now. It's a. My Molly did it. It was a. It was a newspaper. It was. It was. Mm. You know, I, I have some original copies. It's amazing. Now it's a glossy. It's like a magazine. It's pretty great. And it's. It's the writing is exceptional. Yeah. I think. Um, so I. I don't know if it made it onto the recording, but you said earlier, sort of a mini Molly. Um, but. Um, uh, what do you think she would think about the current so current state of politics in the U.S. and and the polarization? I mean, I, I you've already said that she kind of was already as sort of a Cassandra saying this is where things were headed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Newt, Newt Ging, Gingrich, you know, the compact with America yeah. was nasty, and mm -hmm. it was no holds barred, and it was basically doing away with civility. And some of the things they did, you know, his contract with America in 94 was kind of a blueprint of, that started that, I mean, that real polarization. And, um, and then the courting of the, the religious right, which became the Tea Party, which then begat the, um, uh, uh, what do I want to say? This, the Tea Party begat the, well, the alt-right universe mm. that, that we're in and, and um, 
the Proud Boys and all of that, you know, it, it's, it's a, Molly would be devastated. She loved America. She mm. was a real patriot, real patriot, way more than me. Um, she loved America. She loved uh, what this country stood for. She was a First Amendment warrior. She was on the front lines of, mm. you know, the ACLU. She left half her estate to the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union. Mm. She, uh, she, look, you know, when the Klan, you, it's in the film, but when the Klan would come to protest in Austin, you know, they had a right. They're the Klan. Um, you have a right in America. Uh, and, and then she would devise a protest with other free thinkers that were, I'm not going to give it away because it's worth seeing. It's hilarious what they did in Austin to protest the Klan. But that's, protest is part of what makes America, America, the right to protest. And what we see happening is a throwback to what happened in the 60s, what happened with, in Chicago, what happened with Nixon. And so I think she would have been devastated. I think she would have been heartbroken and shed quite a few tears, but she would have been on the front lines. And I, I think that Molly would have been, she was Twitter, Twitter ready in the 80s. Yeah. I'm not anti-gun on pro-knife. Yeah. Because IQ slips any lower, we'll have to lower water them twice a day. I mean, Molly was Twitter ready back then. And she yeah. would have been going, she would have been going after yeah. the guy who soon exited. But, oh but, my but, God. She would have been going after him for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She would have yeah. been dining out on him, but she would have been horrified. And she would have been also horrified, I think, by the echo chamber. She would have been, a, Molly Adams yes. was a pundit before there were pundits. She yeah. was invited on shows. And she did, she did do that kind of speaking. And she would have been, I think, a regular on mm -hmm. MSNBC. But I do think she, um, she was alarmed about the echo chamber. She was talking about it in the early 90s. Yeah. That was being created by the corporate, corporate media barons that gobbled up newspapers. Gobble, gobble. She referred mm -hmm. to them, to, to Murdoch, to Disney, to Fox and Disney. She referred to them as the current crop of plantation owners in a column she wrote in the 80s or for the Texas Monthly. I mean, the fact that she called them plantation owners, I mean, here we are. Mm. I, it couldn't be more, she was prescient beyond, beyond, beyond. I, th I, think, uh, I think that's definitely right. I mean, the, um, yeah, and I think, but if, maybe it's the uh, uh, glass uh, half full in me here. Um, I think, uh, wouldn't she have seen something, though, in this most recent election? I mean, never have so many people voted. You know, I, you know voter turnout at, at – this gets back to her whole point that, yes, it's top to bottom. It's not left to right. But ultimately, the board of directors are the American people. And, and, there, and there you have it. A democracy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Thank God. Democracy mm. hanging on by a thread. It's still working. Now we have a very polarized country, but that's just here. This is around the world. We have yep. a polarized world and it's about the first world versus the third world. It is about color and it is about tribalism and it is about patriarchy. I could go on and on and on, mm. but it's, it's really about, we have a shared humanity. We are one species. Mm. People forget we, we, are, we are one species, we're a species. We are one species and we have one planet. We have one home. It's called Earth. Y'all who want to go to Venus, have some fun. Good luck with that. <laughs>
So people are, people want it, you know, in the first world, they want it, they want it now. You remember that? I want my MTV. I want it, I want it now. Yeah. No, no, we, we it, I mean, I, the pandemic is, a, is, is horrible. It's a global enemy and it is a wake up call for us. It, you know, people goes, people say, I wanted to go back to normal. Really? Mm. I guess you're on the top. I guess you're getting everything you want when you want it. I, uh, yeah, I think, um, I think that's a good point. I think uh, also um, uh, it, it can't return to normal because I think uh, it's my own personal opinion. I think what this has shown, I mean, there's someone in the Obama administration um, once said, never waste a crisis. I think, uh, which sounds mm-hmm. a bit cynical, but I think I, you kind of know what, where they're coming from on this one. I mean, if this is shown as if indeed there's a vaccine that's coming out in a few weeks time, it just shows you what can happen if everyone puts their, you know, just mobilizes the resources and the will. Uh, and then he gets to this whole point of what needs to happen with in terms of, as you say, saving the planet. Yeah. Well, I, I think that there's the, the selfishness, the, the, the narcissism, you know, of the world and created by these things, you know, yeah. by, by social media. We are, we are a narcissistic world and that needs to change it's it's what's bred this and also the whole thing of you know america's a bit america's a uh there's a there's a lot of big lies you know you know the whole idea of rugged individualism that comes from texas the rugged individualism pull yourself up by your bootstraps okay that's good but you have to be able to afford the bootstraps yeah and so it doesn't allow, yes, I understand it, every, you know, what you, you're, you're, it's your responsibility. Not everybody's going to be able to do that. They're always, and that's what Molly, that's why she was so angry at Clinton, you know, mm-hmm. children on, and, and welfare. Not everybody's going to have that ability. So what do you do? You just let them just fall off the deep end and just say, you know, sorry about that, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um... I mean, we that's, have a responsibility as a shared humanity. I mean, that's my, that is yeah. my thing for my, my future projects. It's really all about our shared humanity. Well, that's a, you bring us to, and I, I hate to say, I think our time's actually drawing to a close here. But uh, uh, before we go to your future projects, one last question. What do you think Molly's legacy is? And is there anyone following in her footsteps? Or can can anyone follow in her footsteps? But you know what I mean. Is there? Does she have any? Uh, does it, you know progeny, if you will? I, I you know I'm sure she does. I you know I've got <laughs> I asked that who's the next Molly Ivins, and then I get asked it all the time. There is nobody who did what she did. There's nobody who. Um, first of all, newspapers are. She was a writer, mm. so she was a columnist. Uh, I would say that <clears throat> the comedians do what she does. Um, mm. They skewer. They skewer politics, they skewer absurdity and pomposity, and they take the piss out of those who need to have the piss taken out of them. Um, but uh, Molly was a, also a real journalist. She was an investigative journalist. She did. She had maybe one, she had her Betsy Moon, and maybe she yeah. had a stringer every now and then, but she read six newspapers a day. She did her own research. I mean, the comedians have writer's rooms. Yeah, they they have a whole team of people finding. I mean, John Oliver. They're all very astute, and they read and they have their own ideas. But they have, they have a staff. Molly was one person doing it all. There are some young writers out there that um, people have 
said have a similar you know, take as Molly Ivins and, mm-hmm. and, but not what well, they don't, they don't read newspapers. They don't have that. So it, it's, it's in a different form. And I think that the next Molly Ivins are all those people in my film you see on the front lines and the protests. And if you look at, you know, I made my films, my film before Black Lives Matter, other eyes that would have been in the, mm-hmm. the, the film, but it's all the young people coming up. It's all, the, the, this is their world. They're inheriting this world. Every single voice you hear out there, the Emma Gonzalez's, the young, the Greta Thunbergs, the young voices that you hear out there on the front lines, they're the next Molly Ivins. They're keeping us in the fight. And Molly said, you got to have fun while you're fighting for freedom because it might get to be the only fun you ever have. So you also have to remember to laugh and to stop getting so angry and let go of the desire to be right. Mm. Have the ability to listen to the other side, because we really do need to find our, our common ground. I, I think that's a very good good place to leave it when we're discussing uh, uh, Molly Ivins, only to add that uh, if you watch the film, uh, you'll realize that she was a cub reporter in, for the Minneapolis Tribune, I think, and she was talking about yeah. police brutality back then, and that's uh, it's, it, that kind of, kind of prescient as well. Um, what is next for you, Janice? Well, next for me, I teach. <laughs> so, well, very, you're very in the moment. <laughs> I teach. I teach. I'm a, I'm a Zoom teacher. I teach uh, at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco, though I'm in L.A. because I'm not going up to San Francisco, thank God, since last March. Um, I teach film. I teach documentary, writing, editing, no, filmmaking. Uh, and I also, you know, have, I have a Holocaust education program called What We Carry um, about, you know, how do you tell first person narratives, stories of survival when they've been passed, they've passed away and they're, or they're, you know, they're, we're, they're, we're losing that generation. So I have a producing partner who's a producer on Raise Hell, Amber Hell. We created that back in 2010. And, um, and I have projects, I, you know, everybody said when I was in, doing the festival circuit, what's next, what's next? It took me seven years, six and a half, seven years to make Molly. Um, and I'm at an age where I, I'm, I'm in this place, the world is, so much has happened in the past two years and particularly this past year, I'm in a place of observation. And I know my themes that I always need to stick to. I do have a television doc series that I'm developing called The World We Want which is all about youth activists. So it really, it is the world we want. Can you imagine a world without conflict? Um, of course, if we didn't have conflict, we wouldn't have any stories anymore because conflict is the root of storytelling. But it's, it's a noble idea. And there's a lot of uh, young people um, who understand about our shared humanity. And so that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm working on developing. In terms of a, a specific doc, I, I have a bunch of ideas, but. I'm just letting them, it's like it's, it's, it's in its percolating process. I'm just kind of watching and seeing. Um, I'm, I'm making space because I've had, so Molly was such a big part of my life for the past seven years that I'm trying to get to this place to make space and room to allow what is truly next to come in. Mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent piece of advice about for those who can just to take a step back and do a little observing because I think it's uh, we're in the middle of a 
a giant, well, several storms, um, some sort of version of the Industrial Revolution, whatever it ends up being called 200 years from now, um, all kinds of things going on. And I think there's a, such a, a natural instinct to try to just want to jump in and start doing or saying something. But um, we've, uh, side note, we've uh, been kind of Texas heavy here. We had, there's a Horton Foote uh, documentary that's come out recently, and he was quite the observer as well. And, uh, you know, he, people, you know, the playwright and, uh, he, and did the screenplay for To Kill a Mockingbird. And uh, he would literally just kind of sit in the corner of a room and observe. And that's how he came up with all these amazing plays and screenplays that he did. Um, and so uh, if we can, and maybe uh, for those, so this is going to air later, but this is uh, Thanksgiving week in, uh, in the USA. It's maybe a good time to... Uh, just take stock of of what we've of of everything all the blessings we do have so um so thank you so much uh janice um it's been lovely talking to you um and we'd love to have you back on sometime when you uh do your next project thank you matthew thanks for being here i thoroughly enjoyed talking with you as well and um sharing uh my my point of view my molly stories and uh, uh some of my my you know ruminations and and things that i've uh learned really in the past uh seven years i mean i've learned them in my life but i mean really learned a lot um yeah that's why and i teach i love to share that's great and what i will add is please do uh do go watch the film as someone who's a native texan born and raised uh i i noticed in a lot of the interviews with molly not even in just your film but the clips i've seen she's often asked is that a true story uh yes these things do happen in the great state of texas it's uh it's probably a good thing that the legislature only meets once every two years i can only imagine what mischief we'd we'd have if uh if they were meeting all the time so um so thanks again uh to remind you the film is raise hell the life and times of molly ivins uh it's you can stream it if you're in the states you've got hulu you can watch it for free it's on We'll be back in the cinemas in the UK once we're allowed to go back to cinemas. You can stream it in the UK. It is through modern films. There are numerous streaming platforms, from what I understand. Curzon, I believe Curzon and modern okay. films. There's a Excellent. bunch of them. And, and um, I, Bridget will know exactly okay. uh, the, the platforms. And if you guys can put that out with your, your podcast, I think that's really important. We'll, put, put, that in the, we'll put that in the show notes. I, I can guarantee you. So, um, so thanks again, Janice. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, thanks to our listeners. I want to give a shout out to This Is Distorted Studios here in Leeds, England. Uh, and to remind you to please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.
www.ghostbusters.co.uk.